Hello, hello, hello. I am your Willow Rosenberg, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth. In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Goosebumps. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara especially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Munoz, and he did the mesh. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. That's right in your mouth, listeners. Father Time is here to let you know we are in October barreling towards pumpkin spice lattes, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and soon enough, Christmas. Yup, that's right. I said it. I know, it's ridiculous. Where has the time gone? But what a year it has been. The weather is gorgeous here in New York City. And listen, I am a queen of the seasons. I love all the seasons. I love, like, the change. But, like, this, like, you know, fall, like, pre-fall thing that's happening in the city right now um, is absolutely stunning. It's, like, just the right amount of like nipply outside that like you need something but you don't i mean i love it i love it i can't can't wait to stroll through the streets like with a hot coffee from somewhere there's just something magical about the city at this time of year that i'm absolutely here for well you know what indian mouth listeners today is you know, not unlike any other day, because the gay liberties just keep on coming. And I am so excited for today's guest. So without further ado, let's just get to the getting on and welcome the one, the only, Matthew Francis. Say hi. Hi. Happy to be here. (laughs) How are you, love? Oh, I'm great. You know, just enjoying a kind of easier, lazy weekend. I've been working on some food video editing and i'm gonna make a nice meal later so i'm all excited. yeah what's the what's the meal you're making um so i have like a really great little international market like across the street from me uh and so they have like food from all over the world so i think i'm gonna make some like uh 
like fufu, which is like an African like uh, yam based like side dish, and then like um, some kind of like Nigerian stew. My friends have some good recipes, and I might do that. And I'm kind of craving some nice spicy stew. Um, yeah, so well, it is soups and stew season. Yeah, and I love that away. you're. I love that you're making like fufu. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Shout out to shout out to the ancestors and the, and the motherland. <laughs> yes, I uh, I love that for you. Thank I love, you. I love that. Well, you I'm know boring. What? I'm, I'm like bored of normal American food sometimes, so I like to try new food around the world. Yes, I'm. I actually find I'm very very similar. And when people ask me, and I'm sure you get this question a lot too, like, what's like your go-to dish or what's your signature dish right. or what's your, what's uh, like, what's like the best thing you cook? And I am, I get pregnant lady cravings all the time and, and I get bored really easy. So like some days I'm in the mood for fufu, I guess, or some days, you know, so like the, the kitchen is ever evolving and it seems to be that way with you as well. Yeah, Definitely. Especially now with like having the market like literally across the street, which is great. So yes, and you're in Maryland, right? I'm in Columbia, Maryland, currently. Yes. Yes, Columbia, not mm-hmm. to be confused with Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, it's more like <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't. It's definitely not with like the country. It's like also spelled different, but it's where I live. <laughs> Well, we're already off the rails, Matthew. But before we go anywhere in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you Happy National Noodle Day. Ooh, fun. I mean, Noodle Day? Like, yeah. how how vague. Yeah, there's so many noodles, you know? Which which type? What are they talking about? Oh, like, what? Yeah, what type? A wet noodle? A pool noodle? A, a, <laughs> a rice noodle? A, 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 a kugel? I don't know. Like, and why well, not? I, also, I, there's, a, there's a debate, like, between, like, like, obviously pasta and noodle are very similar, like, words. And, like, there's a debate sometimes, do people say, like, is pasta only, like, Italian? And is noodle more, like, Asian-centric? Or, or what type of uh, differentiation is between those two? Um, well, take us down the road. Uh, take us down the road, honey. What like what's the opinion here? For me, I would say I when I think of pasta, I do think more Italian um, or like kind of Mediterranean. And then when I think of noodle, I think more of like Asian specific countries. Um, like I wouldn't necessarily say like um, like a like a sweet potato pasta, but you a sweet potato noodle for like you know Korean cooking is very normal. So that's what my differentiation is in my brain. I don't know how the world thinks, but it's interesting. Yeah, but but if we're making a kugel, are we using pasta? Or are we using noodles? I, right. And chicken noodle soup with a soda on the side. Right. Hello. Yeah. I don't so know. There's many, there's many variations. I just I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, or is it just like a tomato-tomato sort of situation? I think situation? so. I, I think there's no rule. I think it's literally just like, um, yeah, how everyone has their own different thoughts. There's no rule. Favorite type of noodle? Um, I really love, like, so, okay, well, for, so, okay, for noodles, in my mind, are Asian. So I would really love, like, I love, like, udon noodles, like, in Japanese culture. Um, I really love, like, ramen noodles. And then when it comes to, like, pasta, I really love any kind of stuffed pasta or, like, pasta that can cling so i don't i'm not a big fan of like spaghetti or like penne really they're kind of just like straight and boring i like when things are more curvy and gay you know so yeah. uh, like <laughs> so like rotini i like or stuffed pasta like any kind of like ravioli or tortellini or like manicotti i love that because i'm you, more you are a man pasta. after my own heart you just you literally just said i love th- i love it when things are curvy and gay yeah yeah <laughs> 
Very true. I, I'm here for it. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely here for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You know what? Actually, um, angel hair. I went down like an angel hair like diatribe like two, three episodes ago. And my obsession with I, I never eat it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about angel hair, which is pasta, not a noodle, but could be passed off as a noodle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know what it is about angel hair. That's just just the words angel hair make my, make my mouth water for some reason. Yeah, well, in a good way or bad way for you? In a, in a really good way. I love yeah. angel hair pasta. Um, funny enough, I actually, like, the video I'm editing, like, a long time ago on my, on my podcast interviews, I had a, a friend over named Sheila, and I made her dream dinner for the show, and she wanted an angel hair puttanesca uh, pasta. So I made that for her, and it, it is really, really good, you know? Um, something about it just being like very small. So you're getting pasta, but you get a lot of sauce. I think people yeah. enjoy with angel hair. So if you're having it's like... very um, delicate. Yeah, very delicate. It can break easy. Um, and let's say if you're having either with like angel hair or with some kind of like puttanesca thing, you get a lot of sauce that clings to those noodles. So I think that's what people also really enjoy. Yeah, love it. Well, in your mouth, listeners, whether you are a chicken noodle, an udon noodle, or a wet noodle, today today we celebrate you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, on this day, October 6th in 1998, we take a moment to remember Matthew Shepard. Matthew Shepard, if you don't know, or as you remember, was uh, brutally um, hate-crimed and tied to a fence and left to die in uh, an incident near Laramie, Wyoming, Um and yeah, that's today. And only, and it's crazy, Matthew or Matt. May I call you Matt? Uh, either one is great for me. Yes. Uh, it's just crazy to think um, that it was so long ago. It was like 20, 20 some odd years, uh, 23 yeah. years. I, I'm terrible at math. But um, but yet not that long ago. I, I, I remember that as if it was yesterday. I mean, I think, like, so for me, I, I'm 26 now, so I would have been, like, six when it happened, and with my personal life, like, I didn't mess, I didn't come out until I was, like, 18, and I didn't mess, like, really kind of get involved with a lot of gay culture until I was in, like, college, so it wasn't a part of my growing up at all. I didn't hear about it at all until later in life, and then looking into it, it's just, like, it's such a like scary cautionary tale about all the people before us that have struggled through things, and also now with, like, just, like, you know... You never can be completely safe wherever you are when you're gay, yeah. and it just it's, it's 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 a tragedy that we still have to deal with that. Yeah, it it really is, and and we're seeing um, not necessarily an LGBTQ story on the news lately, but of this of the poor girl who went missing and now uh, has been found, you know, murdered or allegedly murdered, um, you know, in in that national park and they're on the hunt for this man. We're still seeing stories like this is what my point is, you know, Um, terrible stories. We need to be kind to each other. We need to look out for one another. You know, we need to, you know, especially after the pandemic, things have changed. This neighborhood that I live in, I live in 120 square feet of Times Square, Matt. And like, I have seen this neighborhood over the past 12 years change for like the better. And then from the pandemic really like regress to like, a very different time. It's very New York, but it's a very like gritty 
New York again all of a sudden. All of that to say is, you know, take care of each other out there in your mouth listeners, whether you're gay, straight, or anything in between. Um, and, you know, you got to look out for each other and look out for yourself. And and on this day, we remember you, Matthew Shepard. But I want to get to the getting on. In your mouth, listeners, if you don't know, and you probably already do, Matthew Francis Johnson is a chef, video producer, and author from Duluth, Minnesota. As a young teen, he battled with his weight, but after coming out as gay, he started cooking healthier, staying active, and switched to a plant-forward diet to lose 120 pounds. Congratulations, Matt. Uh, Matthew has a bachelor's of business administration from the Culinary Institute of America. While in college, he worked in various restaurants around the country and taught himself how to write scripts, direct, film, host, edit, and market digital video content, and launched his own cooking YouTube channel in 2014. By competing in cooking competitions, becoming a James Beard Foundation scholar, and writing over 50 scholarship-winning essays, Matthew earned $175,000 to pay for his own college education and graduated from CIA. Matthew then worked as a chef-slash-video producer for BuzzFeed Tasty in Los Angeles for two years where he created hundreds of viral food videos with millions of views and shares. He also fell deeper in love with visual storytelling, pop culture, and healthy cooking. In late 2019, he formed his own production company, Francis Film LLC, and has since continued to produce recipe video content for many large brands, including Viacom, Nickelodeon, BuzzFeed, MTV, Tasty, Jaconi, Meredith Corp, Freshly, and All Recipes. He is the creator, host, and director of a food interview podcast and web show, Dinner Views, which has two published seasons. His first book, Prax and the Hazardous Countdown, is the start of a six-part YA, that's young adult, LGBTQ plus sci-fi action series. His goal in life is to own a large organic farm and food studio and keep creating, producing, and supporting LGBTQ plus female BIPOC and food-related stories. How yeah. wonderful. How wonderful. So accomplished at such a young age, Matt. Desperation. Right? <laughs> desperation. <Yeah. laughs> Not desperation. Yeah, I, I want to I call it the hustle, you know? And yeah. the hustle and the drive. And, and how beautiful it is. And I want to start at the very beginning, a la Julie Andrews. And there seems to have obviously been a penchant and a necessity for the cooking. But where did the... Did the love come out of the necessity or was the love there and you use that to foster the necessity to lose, to go on the weight loss journey? Yeah. Um, well, so growing up, my family really loves food in all forms. You know, like my parents love to cook. My grandparents love to cook. We all, it's like all part of our lives. And whenever we have a get together, it would mostly be us cooking together and having dinner. Right. So, uh, and then growing up, I always watched food TV, food network, cooking channel, whatever, what have you. And I just would like sit and watch for hours and eat for hours and like take notes. So growing up, like food was always just a part of my childhood. And I always knew I wanted to be a chef and go to CIA uh, for culinary school. And, um, but since my parents like were a little bit overweight and everyone loved food and there was no kind of shame around that, 
Um, I did gain a lot of weight when I was younger. Like I ended up weighing around 310 pounds, like, you know, around high school and before then. Um, and also that was a time when I was like figuring out my sexuality as well. And so like I would eat more than I needed. Um, but it wasn't like a problem to like my family because everyone loved each other and everyone loved food. So it was okay. But as I was getting older, I was like, well, I don't really feel like me anymore. So, um, I wanted to make sure I started eating healthier. And, um, when I came out, that was like a, such a weight off my shoulders, like, you know, emotionally and spiritually that it really kind of helped lead into losing weight physically. Um, and yeah, and so I would say food has always been a part of my childhood. And then as I was getting older, it went into, it, be, it became my career. Um, but even if I wasn't being paid for food, um, it wasn't my job, I would still like every day still be cooking, you know, it's just a part of who I am. Yeah. And, um, um, you bring uh, up an interesting point in the sense of the no shame around food. And we just thought, we just started in the deep end of the pool, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love so to do just, that. Yeah, why not? Uh, let's dive right in. But, like, you brought up this really interesting point of there no, not being, like, shame around food in the family. But then that within itself being slightly problematic because there was a little bit of an unhealthy attachment to it with the weight gain and, and you know, and then fostering fostering that, the weight off the shoulders led you into... Uh, a physical weight loss, which uh, which is beautiful. We often talk, or or pretty a lot, we talk here about the gay body dysmorphia of it all as well. Because let me tell you, I, I mean, in your mouth, listeners, to all to all our straight allies there out there, if you you know mainstream media, right, is all about the the Courtney Kardashians, the like the Kim Kardashians, the, you know, skinny waist, big ass, like yeah. pecs, abs, and all of that, you know, mainstream media. But then you add the gay on it, and it's like a hundred times worse, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And and especially as, as a young person, finding yourself and finding your way to come out, right? Having examples of of being healthy, eating healthy, and having like just... A regular body, whatever that means to you, that it doesn't have to be abs and whatnot. Like, it's sometimes hard to find. It is. Um, And, you know, I want to say up front, like, uh, I'm very lucky that I had a family that didn't shame me for any kind of food stuff. Because I know there's so many people that, like, their parents are very, like, on them about, you have to, you know, diet culture or shaming their kids about their weight. So I'm very grateful I didn't have that. But the freedom to eat as much as I wanted did lead to... Um, being unhealthy for my own um, body. Uh, and uh, But the shame I did have, I would say, would, would be from sexuality and, and like also for sure body dysmorphia. So like I was feeling like I, you know, I was only just starting to figure out um, who I was and who I wanted to date and fall in love with. And then I, I felt shame for how I looked in comparison to what I was seeing or what I was attracted to, right? Yeah. Which I'm sure we all can relate to. Uh, we all, and, listen, the yeah. gay body dysmorphia is real. Even... It, even uh, these days. And and the thing is, right, young people out there and even old people out there, no matter what you look like, somebody's going to love up on you, right? Exactly. They are going to love up on you. If you got them handles, they're going to love up on you. And listen, I always say, I'm an, I'm an equal opportunity fucker. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if we vibing, we're vibing and we're, and we're going to get it done, right? Mm-hmm. Whether, whether you're big, small, right? Tall, thin, what, uh, tall, short, whatever. You know, and so, so yeah. yeah as, I've it, gotten, as I've gotten older, like I've realized that, like, 
um, I've really come a lot more comfortable in my own body and my own skin and my own personality because I realized that, oh, like when people do want to be with me intimately or be my friend, the last thing they actually end up caring about is like how I look. They actually enjoy my ambitions, what I talk about, my, my humor, they, they enjoy those things more. And I've gotten laid plenty. I don't really need, I'm like, you know, my weight <laughs> yeah. has never, I, I don't have, I never, I never will have abs. I never will have a huge you know, muscles. I'm just who I am. And I found that I'm still great as I am. So, um, amen. Yeah. Amen. You know, Perfect soundbite too. I've gotten it, laid plenty. <laughs> yeah. You know, who cares? We're all good. I almost want to add that to my uh, to the in your mouth intro song right right at the end, you know. <laughs> Instead of because it ends, I oh I've got like goosebumps. Uh, I want to change it to Matt Matt Francis just being like I've gotten laid plenty. Oh, <laughs> it is a good morning. You know it is a good morning on in your mouth. If we're starting out with I've gotten laid plenty. So <laughs> getting back on track here, you find the love of food. You obviously go to a really, really great school, right? And, and you're professionally trained. And in your mouth listeners, go go use your best friend Google and and find all, all the Matt Francis, the Matthew Francis things, right? And we're going to link it out a little later. And it'll be in the liner notes. But um, when did when did you find the love of video production and why food video production why is that so alluring and why is that so like your thing that like you're obviously very very good at um but like why that uh well thank you um so basically as i was saying like you know growing up i really loved food network like you know for me that was like my way before i went to culinary school of like my family could never afford to travel we couldn't afford to like go get fancy food we couldn't afford to like and all the food around us was very kind of kind of Midwestern American stuff. So being able to watch Food Network was my escape into seeing global cultures and global food. And it was just so thrilling for me as a kid. Um, and then um, I always loved movies and books and TV shows and stories as a kid as well. But I didn't know how to make that into a career when I was young. So as it, when, I went to, when I went to culinary school, um, I fell in love with like the YouTube and social media before it was as big as it is now. And I loved like YouTubers and I loved all that stuff. And I had written like this like speech for high school and it got turned into a short film. And that was my first time experiencing how to edit and like how to like be on camera and how to film things and like the whole production process. And it was very fascinating to me. It happened my, my, my freshman year. And then after that short film was like put out, um, I was like, oh, wow, like I miss it because um, I know it, it was like exciting for a minute and then everyone didn't care anymore. And so like, oh, how do I keep doing this? And so I taught myself how to um, write scripts, how to produce things, how to edit, how to like bring my friends in as talent and direct them. Um, and yeah, and I just really fell in love with taking all of my crazy ideas I had in my brain, which I was, it was hard to always explain them and put them in like a marketable package that I could just send a link to someone and they could watch my, my thoughts and my passions in a, you know, two minute video, three minute video. And it was a really great way of expressing myself artistically. And, um, yeah. And, and, and when I was in college, um, I was cooking every day for classes, obviously. And we had like weekends. I'm my friends. We're all really talented chefs as well. And I had to figure out a way to, cause you know, when I was young, being someone that wanted to become a chef was like what was interesting about me. But when you go to culinary school and everyone there wants to be a chef and everyone loves food, while it's incredible, it's also like, oh, I don't stand out anymore. I'm, I'm the same as everyone. So I was like, how can I be different 
than everyone else. And I was applying for scholarships to pay for school because, again, my, my parents were bankrupt. We didn't have money for school. So I was like, how do I stand out in scholarship applications? How do I stand out like in these pools of, of other CIA culinary students? And I was like, well, I, I love film and I love editing and I, I learned this skill and that set me apart. That, hadn't, that gave me a, a, a marketable skill that made it seem very investor worthy for scholarship committees and whatever. And also was fun. Um, and I, why, I was why do you think why do you think food videos and food media is so popular? Like the yeah. amount of food media that's out there, including this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think why why do you think it's so popular? Why do you think people are just like latch on, like from mukbang, right, mm-hmm. or mukbang to um, yeah, those uh, like everything to the ASMR eating. I know why. I, 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 I've like studied it for the last couple of years, you know, and the reason is because food is something that every single human being on the planet engages with every single day, multiple times a day, right? So you can, let's say if you're into like, I don't know, cars, not everyone has a car, not everyone is always going to be driving, but you're going to be eating every single day. And um, it's very relaxing. People usually are eating when they are at home with their friends, their family, their partner. And so it's, it's, like, it's a very like human nature, innate part of who we are. So when you engage with content, it, that is also with food, it really just relaxes you and can teach you. And it's something that um, you don't need to have like, a language barrier. I can, I can watch a food video from um, Iraq or from France or from Russia and still gain experience and education and enjoyment out of it without having there be someone that's talking to me. Um, and also it's also apolitical, like food can become political and can have a voice and a message, but you can also strip it of that political message and it's just something that you can enjoy. So that's why I know food media was always popular and will continue to be. Wow. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, there, I mean, I have even some of the, the bad, I guess we can't qualify it as bad because it gets like millions of views, right? Um, so, so I retract that statement. But like, there's even people that can't cook. Like, right. even that, watching them cook and knowing that they can't cook. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it sometimes uh, astounds me. I'm like, yeah. this, person, this person can't cook. Yeah. And there's you know, like as- 8 million views. Yeah. As a chef, as, as someone that has gone to culinary school, I wish we had a lot more like knowledgeable voices, you know, presenting these food media, like, you know, education pieces of content to the world. But at the same time, there's, you know, I, people do teach themselves and not everyone wants to be a chef and not everyone wants to maybe do it at a super high level. So having some, like having a relatable person who's learning with you, I think is really appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, and absolutely. then also, um, but also, um, uh, I think sometimes people love to see people mess up. You know, I've, I've definitely been in competitions where like, and it was filmed and people want to make fun of you. They want to see you fail. So there's like, I think there's two rounds of the food space where there's like people who are wanting to watch content to really learn or make it at home or, or experience other cultures. And then people also are so used to watching like traumatic, you know, dramatic uh, like a train wreck, yeah, absolutely. A train wreck, and they want to be able to like be like, oh, well, I can cook a, st- I can cook a steak better than them, so I'm great. You know, people love that type of like feeling good about themselves for the reality shows or whatever. Yeah, I, and I need to go back because it sounded really shady that I'm like judging people on their oh, cooking no, skills. Fine. Uh, but uh, I just like I am a self-taught. I I do not 
call myself a chef in any which way, shape, or form. I am self-taught, right? I think my food is great. I'm talking about, like, the really disgusting yeah. things. Like, like that person that, like, did the whole nacho thing on their counter, yeah. right? Like, the communal nacho thing where they're spreading, they're opening, like, cans of, like, refried beans and just throwing it on the counter. Like, you know, like... Yeah. That, so that like to me that's like shock value and yeah. I, I agree with you like that's definitely not i would say something that's wholesome or good for the food world or yeah, media I, world that's but what I, I was talking about like there, there like, you go or yeah. like you know or but I've i think seen, it, that's the nature I, of the internet right people just they love to like see weird stuff and i think the reason why those videos perform so well isn't because it's like good food but because people mm-hmm. are like they want to send it to their friends and be like look how crazy this person is right like and that's that's how, unfortunately, the world of clickbaity internet works is the shock value makes clicks. So that's probably why it's successful. I also don't think it's good either. <laughs> no, no, no. That Coco Vamp video you sent me um, oh. had me, gave me all the feels and made, really, really made me want it, want that. And like just soups and stews. I'm ready for the soups and stews of it yeah. all. But Matt, you know what else I'm ready for? What? My favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. Do you like that transition there? Yeah. A little something <laughs> we like to call. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com/wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com/wondery. Food news updates. Mm. Food news. Ooh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News updates. Cheese It's new sparkling wine pairing comes with a combination coop cracker bowl. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, like, it's a it's a bowl shaped or made out of Cheez Its. So. Cheez-Its has a little bit of a long history here okay. of doing wine and Cheez-Its pairings. Like, they've started this whole, like, marketing thing. And their latest iteration of this is a champagne and Cheez-Its, like, pairing that you can get. Apparently, it's very, very popular. And this time, it comes with a coupe glass and, like, this fancy, like, Cheez-Its bowl Right. My my issue with it is it only comes with one glass. And what if I wanted to share my Cheez-Its and my champagne? Well, that's probably smart on their ha- behalf because then you have to buy five or buy six for your friends. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that is that's very strange. Um, you know, I would depending on how much it costs, I would just say to whoever would maybe buy that, just buy regular wine and cheese for your friends. Um, right. But what a funny world we live in. Right. Uh, just. I, I found this very, very funny and um, interesting just just for you being being the pro chef that you are, you know, <laughs> and how yeah. ridiculous this is. But the brand is celebrating its 100th birthday, right? Happy birthday to you. And cool. they announced in a press release that, that they paired toast-worthy drink with its 
extra Cheez-Its, with its Cheez-Its extra toasty variety. So it's like, it's a celebration. It's a cheese itennial, cheese itennial. That's a weird word to read and see. Cracker Coop. It's so funny. You can go get this at cheeseithq.com. I don't know what it costs. And they give you, they don't send you the champagne, but they send you like uh, a variety pack of Cheez-Its Extra Toasties and then a coupon for, for you to go to this website and buy your champagne. Cool. Isn't that... <laughs> talk about talk, talk about viral things, you know? Yeah. And... and I mean, it's smart on their part for the because who doesn't love a cheese board, you know? Yeah, true. Yeah, and I mean, I love making a cheese board or a shark coochie board, as the internet has been calling it, <laughs> right? And I've actually never thought to put cheese. It's on the board. I mean, hey, usually crackers are a great addition, so it it could be a fun way to add some color. You know, they're very brightly colored usually. Um, Why not? Do do your thing. Like, why is that? Why am I almost 41 and just now thinking about this? For as many Because you're super classy, Michael, and you don't need to have to do that. You 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 get really good stuff normally. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, I I, I love a guest that compliments the host. I don't know if Matt and I are here for it, but we are here for a birthday celebration. So happy birthday to you, Cheez-Its. These gin-inspired pickles are a beautiful union of Katz's Deli and Hendrix Gin. Have you heard about this? Hendrix Gin has paired with Katz's Deli. Thank you, Food & Wine Magazine, for this. To create um, a jarred pickle. Um, actually, that's actually really interesting. Um, you know, so when you brine any kind of vegetable or even meat, right, it's literally just like liquid, like usually water with um, salt, sugar and spices. So you could easily replace um, part of that liquid with alcohol. Um, it might for some things like either like, you know, cook the item or like alter it in some way. But I could see that happening. And like especially I mean, that's a smart, um, interesting product, I think, for an alcohol company to do. You know what I, I, I love try about them, you, maybe, but it's interesting. Do you know what I love about you? What? Is that is that your approach to things because because of your education and your history and just like the knowledge of it all. Oh. You go you go straight to the science and you're like, yep, this makes sense and this is why and uh, and we're looking at. It. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, oh, let's get drunk on pickles. Oh, there <laughs> you go. I mean, also, people put like pickle juice in like their drinks, so you can get double wasted. Like, apparently, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. So apparently, this was an April Fool's joke that they came oh. that like just came to reality. Um, Hendrix apparently made a joke about gin-infused pickles on April Fool's Day, and the concept quickly became more uh, more sensible than they initially realized. So they have paired, paired together um, Hendrix. The Hendrix essence, there's actually no alcohol in these pickles okay. um, with because there is rose and cucumber and juniper in gin. So uh, Hendrix stated that like these flavors are a natural, you know, naturally pair very well with cucumbers, right? And yeah. to make these pickles, and so they brine. Uh, they include whole juniper berries, whole cubeb, cubeb berries. I've never heard of a cubeb, a cubeb berry. Have you? 
Uh, I, I haven't heard. Of, I've definitely Juniper, but I haven't heard of the other one. Um, but that's cool, and I, I, you know, and Jin does that have those notes of like cucumber, so and that makes sense for pickles. So I'm actually really impressed. I would, I would taste them. Yeah, I would definitely taste this, and it's uh, they're used with, as a part of a 72 hour long two step brining process. You know, they experimented with a variety of botanicals to marry the unique, the unique flavor profiles of Hendrix and the Katz's half sour pickle. Cool. Yeah, right. You can uh, you can get these at katzesdelicatessen.com uh, or apparently online for like fifteen bucks. I I would do this, and you know what? Uh, now besides some coco vin, I really want like a a Katz's pastrami sandwich. Have you ever had one? Delicious. I have. Um, when I was in culinary school, so I went to CI, which is in New York, right, which is like kind of near upstate New York, and we would come down to the city. I think I went to the city like five times total, and one of them was for like a competition. Um, it was with like the um, with the, uh, Boar's Head. My friend Kurt and I were competing, and we like the company allowed us to, like stay in a hotel and um, all this stuff. And we went to Cat's Deli, and I had like a, a probably like some kind of maybe pastrami sandwich and like a side of pickles and and baked beans. It was really good. I, I loved it. Oh my god, it's like a forty dollars sandwich, but it's yeah, well. It's oh, it was. I, I remember. Well I think worth I remember it. the baked beans were like ten dollars. I was like. What? Yeah, it but crazy. it's well worth it. It's well worth it's, it's worth good. well worth it, and you uh, you can't finish it because it's massive. And oh my god, I'm starving all of a sudden. I am starving. Well, it looks like Matt and I are here for a Hendrix X Katz's Deli collab faux show, and we wouldn't be mad, Hendrix, if you sent us some. <laughs> yeah, I'll taste it. Why not? With, with, with a side of pastrami. And last but certainly not least, Pokemon Oreos are listed on eBay for thousands of dollars. Whoa. I think I've seen, like, probably some, like, cute, hunky guy on TikTok opening, like, um, a Pokemon Oreo thing. So I, I, you said that, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. But I didn't know they were, like, selling for a lot of money. How interesting. Yeah. Uh, so earlier this month, Oreo launched a collab, a collab with Pokemon in what the cookie brand billed as its first ever cookie rarity scheme. So right. apparently there was, they put you know, the Pokemon characters on this. I think there's like 16 of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In total, 16 different Pokemon characters were embossed onto the cookies, with some being harder to find than others. Okay. Oreo even stressed that the hardest to find, Mew, is featured on an extremely limited amount of the total cookies produced. Yeah. Right? That's and so, so smart. Like, that, that's fun because it works for both brands, right? Like, the, the Oreo cookies and... um. And then also Pokemon, which is all about like finding, like gotta catch them all. And yeah. then also like you have, people probably would buy multiple. And also an Oreo is a type of product that won't like go bad quickly. Like you, you could probably get one, and you, I got Mew, and you could like save it in like a container, and it probably would last years. So like that's pretty smart. Yeah. So a Cheeto resembling Harambe sold for ninety nine thousand dollars. A Cheeto for ninety nine thousand dollars back in twenty seventeen, and a Dorito sold for fifteen thousand dollars this July simply for being puffy. Interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, in some cases, entrepreneurial eBayers will toss truly commonplace items on the site, like Taco Bell hot sauce packets, just to see if they can hit a quick jackpot. This is also thanks to Food and Wine. I love you, Food and Wine, for keeping me in the know. Uh, not a sponsor. And so, 
Yeah, I. This is crazy. Yeah. So uh, a search for Pokemon Mew Oreo on eBay reveals that the cookies have been posted on the site for as high as twenty five thousand dollars. Crazy. crazy. Wow. Well, one is I even listed. No, I'm not. For, I'm, I'm, I'm resisting the capitalist. I'm resisting the capitalist urge. I'm not going to buy it. Listen, you may not have student loans, honey, but I didn't know I didn't know you were making money like that that you could drop twenty five grand, twenty five. No, no, I meant I meant I'll go buy the cookies to to um oh. just that like not not the twenty five thousand one. I mean like the two dollar <laughs> one from like the store. Um, but even that, I'm like they don't need my money. What I want to know is what uh, what does one do with a twenty five thousand dollar cookie once one owns it. I mean, my guess is it's like any other investment. You would hold on to it and you would like wait 10 or 30 years and then sell it again. Does it, it, uh, and does uh, does food appreciate in value? That's a, the, I, did, I should have researched this. I'm very curious now. Like, because it has to decompose. So, uh, yeah. so you would have to do some like shellac process on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, keep well, it. I think for most food, but for an Oreo, I mean, it's all sugar and processed stuff. I'm sure it will last a few years, but maybe they would do something to like preserve it. How interesting. Right? Yeah. Right. That's weird to think about. Like, it is. A Cheeto, you almost, uh, someone spent almost a hundred grand on a Cheeto. Crazy. Well, that and also you, would last a long time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, and also, I think there are rich people who just want to burn money and have a good story, and that's what they do. You know, who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, you know what? If you are rich out there and you are one of these people that want to burn money, I feel like Matthew and I could use an extra couple dollars. Yes. In invest in account. us. Invest in us. And, and invest in people doing. Doing the work of the Lord over here. <laughs> yes. And with that, I think that's a perfect way to end. Food news update. <laughs> I hope you I hope that can carry you through the rest of the day, Matt. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I absolutely love it. So Matt, you are coming after my gig with your own video, food video and podcast called Dinner Views. Are we are we going to see a season three? Talk to me about Dinner Views and what it's all about. Yeah. So um, basically, um, I had the idea in my head for a long time. Um, I used to work at BuzzFeed and um, on the Tasty team and making all the, the viral food videos. And I loved it. And, and we are always like we're always tasked to think of ideas to pitch as like future like you know series idea there's future formats or whatever and i had this idea for like a, like a podcast or a show called dinner views where it was like dinner plus an interview dinner views or also like your views over dinner you know whatever and like you could cook the dream dinner for a, like a celeb guest and like talk to them about their life and their career and the points of view on the world and um i i kind of pitched it but there no one thought it was like they, they didn't really want to do it or just it wasn't really what they were working on at the time and then after 2019, there were, like, huge budget cuts and, like, half of the Tasty team just had to be, like, go for it. And my team was part of that. So um, I was, like, in L.A. with no full-time job anymore. And so I was starting to freelance and, like, I created my company and was making food videos for other companies. And during that time, I was realizing, wow, like, for the last two years, you know, because in college I had made videos for myself. No one watched them, but I made them for me. Um, and then I had spent, like, two and a half years making videos and working purely for other companies i hadn't created anything of myself anymore or for myself anymore so i was like oh well i love this idea of interviews and i have all these talented friends from la and at buzzfeed that were like have their own followings and loved me and we were great friends so i was like why don't i make a show where i invite them over make their dream dinner and we just have a ball 
Um, and, and that was also a great way for me to showcase my skills um, on camera as an interviewer and as a host, as well as showing all the food I could create for them and like making now being older, like, you know, the state of the art kind of tasty style food videos. So I had a dinky little Hollywood apartment and I had a whole like tasty top down kind of setup and I, I made their dream food and I filmed all the food for it. Um, and that was the goal was just like to have my own show that was like, I could, I could show people like a, with a link how beautiful the food was and like my skills as a, as a, a chef, a video producer, editor, uh, director, host all those things and that in an easy little digestible format yeah coming um, and, full circle to the food media of it all as yeah. well and um digestible food media yeah because it's really lovely to see people cook of course or mm-hmm. you know quick tiktok videos of like you know feta pasta dish or or whatever but like this is the food media i i like to consume you know right. Food media that's, yeah, it's about food, right? Much like this podcast. It's about food. It's about you. It's about cooking. It's about, you know, we talk, it's about noodles. It's, you know, we talk all (laughs) sorts of things. But there's something more, you know? There's there's a a little extra. You're getting getting a full show, you know? Yeah, with with every guest that I had on, we would always really go, like, really deep into, like, their, like, personal history and their life and their career and things they struggled with. And to me, I even though I had made like hundreds of like, recipe videos and I, I love doing that, there was, it was such like a, a, a separation of like who I am as individual and the food that was being shown in the videos. Like, I wasn't, it, there was no personality to it. And so I wanted to imbue what I, like my thoughts and my opinions and as well as like, my really talented friends who um, deserve to have a space to talk about, like we talked about like Black Lives Matter. We talked about like the struggles of being an internet personality. We talked about, um, the struggle of like you know viral fame and like and working at like this high high level at these big companies and what that does to a person, and um, so yeah, it was a really great way to have deeper conversations as well as when people, um, you know, people do have conversations over dinner, whether it be like coming out to your family or uh, you know talking about like problems at home. People usually do that over dinner or with their family with their friends and um and also who doesn't love a great dinner party conversation and so that's the type of atmosphere i wanted to create where it's like i'm not trying to force feed food down your face with a quick little video anymore i'm trying to sit down enjoy and have an actual real life connection with the human being while we're enjoying food and um yeah and i had i just i'm so proud i created it. it was very hard it took like you know two years to produce these two seasons but to be able to just like have real conversations with good people for an extended period of time over delicious food was a dream come true yeah and i'm excited to eventually do it more um life is busy now but I didn't abuse. I, I own it all. I don't. No company owns it. I own interviews, so I can do it until I'm eighty. You know, and no. One yeah, I love that, and I'm a little upset. I haven't been a guest, but well, <laughs> listen. It was when I did it. It was like it was like two years ago, so I wasn't familiar with your work yet. But in the future, I would. Love How to have dare it. you? Do you yes. know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, this is where we connect too. You know, yeah. food is the great unifier, and yeah. and. It's these conversations that that foster over food, about food, you know, through food. Because even on this podcast, we we've been talking about we have talked about baking cakes, and then all of a sudden we're talking about coming out in the foster care system, you know, and what that's like, and like the struggle and the come up, and like or people like you, like we're talking about food and the love of food, and like you know your family's love of food, but then you needing change in your life, right, and 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 you accomplishing something 
amazing for yourself through that, you know? And so, and so it's important and these stories are important and, and it's just lovely to hear. And it's, and, and, and it's the flip side of food media, which is what I really love about it all. And something else I really love that has nothing to do with food is that you write sci-fi novels. Like what? (laughs) I know I'm all over the place. Um, But yeah, I mean, we can talk about that. So I, I, over the, COVID pandemic, I finally, um, like, I guess, I guess we're still in, but um, basically for like ever since culinary school, I had this story in my mind. And as I was saying, I really love film and TV shows. Like I love Marvel and I like Harry Potter and all these like kind of like science fiction fantasy stories I grew up with as well. But um, for my career, like no one knew that stuff, like whether they from online or even like my coworkers, like my life was so food and so food media all the time that that was like a side of myself that I wasn't able to really share with people as much, except for like maybe some like geeky friends of mine who also loved these types of stories and and movies and whatever. Um, And so in culinary school, I had this great big idea for like a fantastic story that would have like all queer characters and like have them like going to school in the future and like kicking butt and all this like crazy mystery. And, um, but I was so busy with work that I didn't have time to actually sit down and write it. It was just kind of in my head circulating. And then when, um, um, COVID hit and the elections of 2020 and like George Floyd, all these different things like happened all at once when like I was locked at home and couldn't do my normal amount of work. And so I was like, and all the, the, all the ideas were coming together and just fit together perfectly. And I was like, I have to write it now. And so in like, I, I think like around June, 2020 until the end of like until December of 2020, I just like barreled down and wrote the book. Um, and I was, I'm really, really proud of it. And we did some editing and we like, you know, refined it a bit. And then I published it in, um, February of 2021 and it's, it's sold pretty well. And I haven't done a lot of marketing for it yet because I was like, I was just moved to a new job and like, so, and like, um, I had to move across the country. So I'm kind of still, uh, figuring out how to like relax where I am and now go into promotion. But the audiobook for it is um, being produced right now and hopefully will be done by November. And when that happens, then I'll have the audiobook and the book. And I want, I'm going to go on like a full kind of like media promotion spree for it and like make my own videos for it, invite my friends to be a part of it and try and sell the book more. But I'm really, really proud of it because it's basically like all the stories I grew up loving and that the world loves. So like Harry Potter, Hunger Games, um, Avatar Last Airbender all those types of things that I loved, I kind of took my favorite inspiration from those and created a story that is all about queer characters, all about like um, a fantastic future that I hope one day our world could have um, and like in a more kind of mysterious way. So basically to talk about like the actual plot, um, my book is called Prax and the Hazardous Countdown. It's about four genetically evolved teenagers that go to school in the far future in 3451 over 1,000, 1,400 years from now. And they study how to become time-traveling historical agents. And essentially, they live in a future that is, like, what liberals would want, where it's, like, very, like, I'm, I'm liberal, and it's very, like, um, accepting, very, like, kind of, like, democratic socialist. And, but then there's some, there's some kind of, like, seedy underbelly that kind of rises in the story. And our heroes have to, like, learn how to become agents in that time, and how to um, and how to like deal with all the crazy mayhem that happens. And I, can, I have the book in front of me, and people who are listening can't see it. But there's one character named Philo, um, who is in. He's from our time, 
and his parents were time traveling agents and they were killed like in our time. And so he was born like in like the early you know 2000s and um, you know he finds out in 2019 that his parents were time traveling agents. One of the other main characters, he and his mother come and rescue Philo from the past and bring him to the future. So we get like that kind of like fish out of water view through Philo, what this like crazy future is really like. Um, and we get to see all the adventures they go under. And it, it, it's, a, it's a great expression of young queer romance about um, coming out at a young age, um, growing up um, LGBTQ+, and also there's a tons of action, tons of adventure. And for, for me, the reason why I wrote it was I wanted to be able to branch out into the more kind of cinematic and like um, storytelling space because I've always loved film and storytelling. And then also I, I met all these incredible writers, producers, editors, and like actors, comedians in LA. And I was like, I would love to create something where I can work on that with them more. Um, and also there's also tons of food in the book. Like that's, I, I have to, of course, bring it back I to food. That. So like one of the, one of the, um, like Philo, he loves food, loves cooking. So there's a lot of food that he eats and cooks. And then one of the characters, the mother is like a chef and she works at the school that they go to. So there's like tons of food all over the book. There's tons of global culture that has to do with food. Um, and food is actually a, a major part of it, the larger mystery as well. So um, it's a, a story that is everything that I love, right? There's food, there's action, there's like um, LGBT storylines, there's, po- there's politics, there's action, adventure. And this was just a really great way for me to create a product that wasn't just me like becoming like an Instagram influencer and selling whatever. Like it was like an actual like piece of art that I am passionate about that, um, talks about um, things that I've learned in my life and people that I've met, what they've learned, and also showing food in a, in a more fictional setting, which is really fun. Um, yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, that's um, really, really beautiful. And congratulations yeah. on that Thanks. book. Um, it sounds incredible. And you know what? The young people and maybe some old people too uh, need the representation, you know, yeah. the need the people who consume this sort of thing, right? I'm not, I'm not a sci-fi sort of person my brother is very much so um but like you know uh, we need those characters we need we need to see ourselves represented you know my journey through food began because i didn't see myself represented right and so and so we need we need more of it you know and so it's really really beautiful that you are on this journey right and it's so like opposite of everything else you do so yeah. it's, that's that's really amazing congratulations before Thanks. we close out what's next tell the kids what's next out there um well so um i am continuing to put out like recipe videos on my youtube channel so if you search youtube um matthew francis or chef matthew francis you'll find my channel and i put out videos um every week as well as a huge library of all the other old recipe videos of my own um, and you can find other videos I've made for, for BuzzFeed or other companies on YouTube as well. My Instagram is Matthew Francis J, as well as my TikTok. And that's currently what's going out. And then you can find the book itself on Amazon or reach out to me privately and I can send you a copy if you want to buy it outside of Amazon. Um, and then the audiobook for Prax and the Hazardous Countdown will hopefully be coming like, November, for sure this like winter. And um, I'll be posting um, recipe videos from the book uh, online for people to enjoy and if you love um queer stories if you love food stories if you love like you know ya harry potter hunger games type of like action adventure epics 
um, this story is great for you. And um, yeah, just follow what I do. I'm, I'm here just creating art and I hope to make a difference. I love that. I love yeah. that. Well, big shout out and big thank you to you, Matthew, uh, for coming on the pod and for giving me of your time today. This is really, really special. I love that we are connected and that you are now part of my Real Housewives of Food Liberty-ism, right? I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, you are always welcome here. Me podcast as Sue podcast, as I say. And thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. In your mouth, listeners, go show Matthew all the love via Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. And while you're doing that, please scroll down and rate and review your favorite little podcast over here. Other than that, I mean... I'm still waiting for somebody to, like, knit me a chunky scarf. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Sweater season is coming. Yeah, sweater weather. Mm -hmm. Right? I love sweater weather. Yeah, other than that, stay out. Uh, You know what? If you're out in these streets, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. And as always, thank you for listening to In Yo Man.